Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 53, the biggest movie disappointments ever. Chris McBride here, and this is Pop Goes Your World. Now, Yancey Eaton, unfortunately, can't be with us again this week. You know, obviously, he's dealing with everything going on down in Florida, and we wish him all the best. He's doing well. He's doing well, and hopefully going to be back with us next week. But in the meantime, we asked Caveman, our good friend Derek Myers. And, of course, Derek stepped up to the plate like he always does and said, of course, Chris, I'll come on the show and do another show with you. So, Derek, thanks again, my friend, for coming on. No problem, Chris. I'm happy to help. Uh, I miss Yancey on the podcast, but uh, if it gives me a chance to uh, hang out with you for half an hour, an hour, and do some uh, some movie talk, let's uh, let's do it. I like you a lot, Caveman. You know that. We've been friends for over 20 years, but I miss Yancey, too. Yeah. I miss him. He's a good guy. You know what I mean? He's so, yep. anyway. But no, I do appreciate uh, appreciate you doing this this week. So uh, it's funny enough, I, was, I told my son, my son is eight. And um, he knows I do the show, right? And so I said, "Oh yeah, I'm doing a po- I'm doing the podcast tonight with uh, with Caveman because he knows you, right?" And he's like, yep. "Oh yeah, Derek, that's really good." He's Derek Myers, actually, Daddy. <laughs> I know, I know, it's Derek Myers. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so anyway, so I said, "I'm doing the show with uh, with with Caveman." He's like, "Yancey's not back yet." I said, "No, no, he's not back." So me and Cave are gonna do the show. He's like, "Daddy, how does Yancey feel about this?" <laughs> like he's like eight. Yancey, if you're listening, you know my my son's looking out for your feelings. So you got, you got everybody the, loves Yancey. It's you like got the Yancey fan club going on yeah, right in your own you. house. Oh man, everybody loves Yancey. It's what can I say? Anyway, you ready to get started? Absolutely. All right, let's hit it. I was like, oh my god, that was incredible. Okay, so we got the millennials' take on it. It's weird. We might get the scorched earth yet. But you often have the. A textbook dancer. Correct me if I'm wrong. Does that make sense? Yep. You've been doing a lot of stuff from the 80s, a lot of comedies. Holiday Rap by MC Micro G and DJ Swen. So this wasn't a film that I grew up with. It's boring as s***. I think I know that. Could you sing us a few bars? What the living hell am I watching? Okay. So we we talked about what are we going to do this week, and we said let's do biggest box office disappointments. But we we stipulated a few rules out of uh, off the top. We said these are our personal box office disappointments these aren't the ones that lost the most money ever right it's not these big bombs that, right you know yeah these aren't these aren't the ones that critics necessarily panned these are movies that we were excited to see maybe they had a fantastic trailer maybe it was uh based on a book that you had read but for whatever reason we were yeah. super stoked to see these movies and then when we got to the theater we're like wow that was terrible so well, but, that, but oh, yeah, sorry, I don't mean to cut you, but before we start talking about these two, I just want to get one thing out of the way right off. Okay, right off the top, because I think we can all agree on what the most disappointing movie of all time is, right? Absolutely. So, so instead of us wasting our number one overall pick this week, you know, to both do the same movie, let's just establish this fact right away that the biggest movie disappointment in history is... Star Wars, episode one, The Phantom Menace. We can absolutely agree on that, Derek. Remember the hype going into that movie? Remember they remember they started with the release of the um uh, the special editions in like ninety seven and those were bad enough and then like all that crappy CGI stuff that they had and and oh and just as a story as an aside if I could by the way just you know I took a date to go see uh, the release of the special edition of Star Wars the original in ninety seven and it was so funny it was about ten minutes into the movie she turns to me and she says this is just this is just the first Star Wars movie 
<laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I know. It's a re-release. And she says to me, she goes, uh, I've already seen this movie. And I said, yeah, me too. Like, and she's like, why are we watching it then? <laughs> and, then and then she got mad at me. And needless, needless to say, it wasn't one of my all-time best dates. She never spoke to me again. I remember, you, but oh, you man. know what, Chris? That that was probably for the best because if the two of you had worked, <laughs> excuse me, if the two of you had worked out, you may be in a very different place now. Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, we we couldn't if she doesn't understand why I'd want to see Star Wars again. But but you know, like going back to episode one, it was so hyped, and like they had this cast of well-known actors, which is probably Lucas's first mistake. But anyway, um, it, everyone was all hyped up about it, and then the movie came out, and I remember sitting in the theater reading the opening crawl. And it was all about like trade embargoes, trade federation, yeah. like that. And then, <laughs> and I, I knew, I knew right at that moment, this movie was going to suck. And by the time they were like, remember when they were swimming underwater go, to go to that city underwater, or whatever? I was like, oh my god, this movie is awful. And it was so. Yeah, so I definitely think, and I, I mean, there's been, you know, it's been well documented how crappy that movie is. But I definitely think we both agree. Um, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace were the most biggest disappointment of all time. So let's just get that out of yep. the way. So yeah, we'll let's start just with our scrub own. that from the list. Yep. Aside from that, we're going to come up with our top five personal biggest movie disappointments of all time. So why don't we start with you? You're the guest. So why don't we start with number five? Your number five. We'll work our way to one as always. So number five most disappointing movie. Go. All right, my number five most disappointing movie wow, was be- A AI Artificial oh, Intelligence. Yeah, <laughs> from 2001 by. Steven Spielberg, who I love a, a great deal. I think he's a phenomenal movie maker. I actually just finished watching the Spielberg documentary that's on HBO. It was fantastic. If you're a Spielberg fan, I highly recommend you, you take it, give it a look. But in 2001, Steven Spielberg put out this movie, AI, Artificial Intelligence. It starred Haley Joel Osment, who had just come off The Sixth Sense. Yep. It starred Ju- Jude Law. And like Spielberg was only a couple years after making Saving, Saving Private Ryan, but was obviously a huge movie director at this point. There was everything to love about this movie on paper. And then we went and saw this movie, and I think the first problem I had was that it's long. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm fine with a long movie, but the movie runs two hours and 26 minutes, and I knew after about 20 minutes that I was not going to have a good time. I had no idea it was that long, and like every 20 minutes, I just thought, is it almost over? Is it done yet? It got to like a 90-minute point, and I'm like, it's got to be almost done. It's two hours and 45 minutes. It's not done yet. Two hours. Wow, where is this going? I really just did not care for it. It looked great. And some of the themes, you know, that were running early in the movie, I thought, okay, I can get behind this. But it just kept taking a left turn. And I was like, where the hell is this movie going now? I disliked it. I disliked the ending of it. I I just felt that it, to me, had no real redeeming qualities. I I tried watching it again on, uh, on DVD years later. And I think I disliked it even more the second time through. And I just went, okay, we're, we're just going to cross this off the list. And the next time I feel like I need to watch a Spielberg movie, I'm going to go to Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm going to yes. go to Jaws. I'm going to go to Saving Private Ryan. I'm going to go to Jurassic Park. There are so many other great Spielberg movies to choose from. AI is just never making the cut for me anymore. That was my number five biggest movie disappointment. Ooh, that's a good one. And you know, it brings one to mind that I'm just going to throw out there as an honorable mention. And that was 1941. So Spielberg made that and it was like in like 79, right? And it was so so bad and the thing was I was disappointed in it because going into it you got Belushi and Aykroyd and it's Spielberg and everything else and it was just awful but it really brought something to mind Spielberg is the greatest director that's ever lived I, I think Absolutely. no question right no question and but the one thing he this man cannot do is comedy 
Like, he cannot do it. And 1941 was proof of that. But uh, So that's an honorable mention. But that's a good pick, AI. Okay, my number five. Um, and this might be a pattern. I don't know how this is going to – because we don't exchange lists before we come on. I, I you know. guarantee we will not have any overlaps on our list. Well, I, that's I'm good. making that guarantee right now. So I don't know if you're going to kind of fill Yancey's – Fire away. What's your number five? Well, I don't know if you're – are you going to kind of fill in Yancey's shoes and stick with maybe newer movies? Or, or how is that going to work? Because I always go with the older stuff. So uh, For the we'll most part, see. they're newish. But, no no uh, surprise. Yeah, don't, you can yeah, surprise me. I don't think you're going to be – I don't think you're going to have any disagreements with anything on my list, but I guarantee that these are not. The reason that I was disappointed is going to be very different than the reasons you would be disappointed. So I don't think there's any chance you're going to pick any of my movies. So let's hear your five. Let's see what we go Okay, so my number five. Back in 1965, Frank Herbert wrote a book that a bunch of sci-fi nerds absolutely loved right around the world. So when they finally announced it was going to be made into a movie, all these nerds around the world, they just rejoiced like crazy until they saw the crappy movie Dune. It took like 15 years to make the movie and it was full of infighting and problems and the director was David Lynch and he ended up taking his name right off the the movie credits. It was actually officially directed by Alan Smithy and for anyone that doesn't know that name, Alan Smithy is a made-up Hollywood name that directors use to put on the credit of a movie that sucks and or if they don't want to be associated with it because it turned out so crappy and that was definitely the case with Dune um it actually really began a kind of a long list of stuff with David Lynch and Kyle MacLachlan that you know because anything that they any, either one of those two have pretty much done has been really really weird that's for sure but I just remember as a kid how everyone was so disappointed myself included with this movie Dune it was so dumb and boring and dry and long and it so it's always stuck out in my mind as a movie that just let a lot of people down so for that reason i'm going to kick it off as number five on my list so on to your number four come on come on chris it had sting in it how bad (laughs) would it have been exactly (laughs) yeah uh so i get you know good pick i agree with you 100 percent. i actually read the book dune maybe about 10 years ago i'd never read it before uh really enjoyed it thought the book was very well written but yeah that other movie was terrible but i will tell you for fans of dune who have only seen that movie there was a uh, a miniseries released on TV in the year 2000. Uh, William Hurt is probably the biggest name attached to it. It was very true to the book and it was quite good. So if you want to experience a positive Dune, try and find the one from 2000, the, the made-for-TV miniseries. It, it was quite good. Good advice. All right. Number four. So uh, my number five pick was from the year 2001. Uh, my number four pick is also from 2001. It is the Cameron Crowe film Vanilla Sky. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. Yeah. So, again, who is Cameron Crowe, you ask? Well, he had just done Almost Famous. He had done Jerry Maguire. Like, he is a very uh, well-known movie director, movie writer. He is is and was a very big name in Hollywood. And up until this point, had had a tremendous amount of success. And pretty much everything he had ever put out, I had seen and enjoyed immensely. Like, he was definitely in my top 10 to 15 movie directors of all time at that point. Like, I just loved everything he did. Vanilla Sky starred Tom Cruise, Penelope Cruz, Cameron Diaz, big cast, big director. And, you know, I really didn't know much about it. The trailer was very mysterious, but I was like, okay, uh, let's go and see this. Now, part of the reason I was disappointed was it was released on Christmas Day. I proposed to my wife on Christmas Eve. And, of course, she said yes. Yay! So on Christmas Day, we, we were going to family dinner at, like, five or six o'clock and we didn't want to spill the beans so in order to sort of keep this to ourselves and not let it on that that we had gotten engaged 
we said, let's go see a movie, which we often do on Christmas. And Vanilla Sky was the big release. And again, she and I both said, oh man, Cameron Crowe, Tom Cruise, this is going to be great. Let's go see this. Well, again, it's really long. And I don't want to come across like, it sounds like I don't like long movies because some of my favorite movies have two and three hour run times. But Vanilla Sky runs two hours and 16 minutes. And it is bizarre. It is not what you expect. It's It's got... You know, I, I, it's been so long since I saw it. I just it left such a bad taste in my mouth. We we got out of the movie and it's like, wow, we were so happy when we got to the theater because we had this engagement news to share with everyone and we were on this you know euphoric high, and the movie was so bad that it was like this <laughs> huge bummer. And so when we went to our families for Christmas, it's like, yeah, we're engaged, and they were like, why aren't you more excited? It's like because we just watched this crappy movie. <laughs> Vanilla Sky is my number four biggest movie disappointment. And, and since it's the pod, uh, the pop culture podcast for the generations, I always try and tie things back to Gen X whenever I can. And Cameron Crowe, I, I agree. Like, I was a big fan of his because I remember back in like 80, 81 ish, he, what he did was he, he before, at that point, he hadn't done anything yet. And he, what he did was he went back to high school and posed as a high school student. And then he wrote down all of the things that happened at this high school and he created a book and later a screenplay for Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So I've, I've always liked Cameron Crowe. Just like you did. And uh, yeah, you're right. That movie was a total disappointment. So, okay, good one. Okay, my number four. Um, there's a there's a bit of a, a pattern I'm going to go with here, I think, with you know, sort of crappy movies being made from books. And uh, I guess that's, that does seem kind of inevitable, right? Because movies are they're never as good as the book, right? Um so it's it's very rare. It's very rare. So I'm going to go with I'm going to go with The Running Man. And so when I was a teenager, I absolutely loved reading Stephen King. Like I mean, I would read anything that that he wrote. And I remember he put out these two novels that were they were made up of short stories. One was called Different Seasons and the other was called The Bachman Books. And Richard Bachman was um was like a pseudonym that he pseudonym. used. Pseudonym. Yeah. Kind of like Alan Smithy, but for, for, <laughs> for but you know anyway, just a little tie there. Um but this one wasn't crappy, right? Because it was Bachman Books was really good. And one of the short stories in the Bachman Books was called The Running Man and it was this kind of like dystopian society. Yancey would actually love it. He likes that kind of stuff. I gotta, I'll have to get him to read. So it. do I. I love. Yeah. We could do a whole show on on post apocalyptic dystopian worlds, and I'd be all over that. Oh man, you you, you and Yancey, we have to, we'll get you on for that for sure. Um, but the so the story of of this short story in the book, it's kind of like the Hunger Games, like what the Hunger Games kind of you know, touched on years later, it, it sort of took poor people and it made them basically sort of compete for their lives in order to provide entertainment for, you know, the rest of the people in society. And so what happens, is they get all these people together and they give them a head start and then they're basically tracked down and hunted. So needless to say, it's dark and it's violent, but it was also really, really, really good. And when I heard they were going to make it into a movie, I was all pumped, right? And I thought, oh, it's going to be really, really cool. How are they going to put this on the big screen? And then and then I went to see the movie in 1987, and instead of it being this kind of dark, suspenseful movie like the book was, they went and put Arnold Schwarzenegger in the title role, and they made it this big, flashy, cheesy game show. They even had Richard Dawson. Richard Dawson's yeah, in it. Yeah, he, he was the host of the game show, although he did not kiss Schwarzenegger on the lips, so that was a bit of a surprise, like he used to do on The Family Feud. He kissed um, the female uh, contestants on screen, though. So there you go. So yep. and uh, but but basically what they did was they went and they tried to clean up the book, right? In order to make it something that was sort of more palatable, I guess, for a mainstream audience. And all they did was ruin it, and they made a completely disappointing movie in the process. So that's why it makes number four on my list. So um, I, I want to say I have to disagree with you on this, but as we said, this is our personal disappointments, and I've never read the book for that, surprisingly, and I love 
the Running Man. Are, are Arnold Schwarzenegger movies from the eighties as a group are like a guilty pleasure for me. Any of them are on TV, I'm gonna watch it. And the Running Man for sure, when it's on, I stop what I'm doing to watch. He, I loved it. That's fine. I would challenge you then to go find the Bachman books and read that short story, The Running Man, and then you're gonna go, Oh, now I get it. Because the book is totally different. Yeah. Totally and, different from the movie. And it's just a big disappointment. So if you're looking again, I'm gonna sort of footnote a lot of our things here there was a a movie that came out before the hunger games but a similar idea where the people had to compete to win prizes but this this one they actually had to kill each other and it was like a literal blood sport on tv and it was called series seven the contenders it came out in 2001 uh a little you know lower budget indie-ish kind of movie if uh if if this sort of genre appeals to you i strongly recommend you take a look for it. it's called series seven the contenders and uh it stars brooke smith who uh, was a longtime cast member on uh, gray's anatomy so um and anyway, just a little footnote there okay uh moving on number three for me so uh before we go on i want to say one of the other rules that we sort of self-imposed or at least that i self-imposed was we tried to stay away from sequels because generally sequels never live up to the uh, the hype that the first one did. Very few exceptions to that. And again, maybe that's a podcast for a different day. So um, we stayed away from sequels. But the book is never as good as the movie. You've already hit one. I've got a couple on my list and I'm going to move to one of them in just a minute. But first, I'm going to go with my number three pick, and this is one I don't even think you would have ever seen before, Chris. It is the Dungeons and Dragons movie from 2000. So this illustrates how big a nerd I am. My passion when I'm not doing movie podcasts for Yancey <laughs> is I play a lot of board games, including Dungeons and Dragons fantasy role playing game. And I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for 35 years, let's say. Like most of my life, I've been playing DD. It's a big passion of mine. And so there was a cartoon from the 80s, which had its moment and yep. i've even gone back to watch it and some parts not as good as you remember but some of it you know when you're trying to talk about a fantasy world in the 80s animation was the way to go because dragons right. would have been expensive mm-hmm. uh, i mean you look at the success of things like lord of the rings and game of thrones now and you think you know the people who who created those things probably were influenced somewhat by dungeons and dragons well Maybe not Tolkien. D&D was influenced by that. But right. you get where I'm going with this. So when they released this Dungeons & Dragons movies in 2000, we're like, hey, great. You know, special effects are at a point where we could see some really cool stuff. Oh, the movie <laughs> was terrible. It starred Jeremy Irons, pretty big name at the time, Thora Birch. And it had Marlon Wayans as sort of comedic uh, effect in there. But again, a good Dungeons & Dragons session is equal parts drama and comedy. So I thought... This, this could work. You never know. Maybe it's going to be one of these sleeper hits. Oh, no. It was terrible. Uh, there was no redeeming qualities about it. The effects were mediocre. The acting was over the top. The story was awful. It didn't even adhere to the mechanics and the rules set out in the game at the time. Uh, they just sort of did whatever they wanted. Like it was, It would be like saying, let's make a movie about American baseball and hiring someone from, you know, Siberia, who's never seen a baseball game and say, yeah, yeah, here, dude, we want you to make a movie about the, the American game. Go. It's like you couldn't have picked the worst people to make a movie. And that's pretty much what it seems like has happened with the Dungeons & Dragons movie. It, there didn't seem to be any love, passion, or understanding about any of the source material. It was all around awful. So that was my number three. 
That's a that's a good one. I'm telling you, if they ever decide to make a Dungeons and a real Dungeons and Dragons movie, they they gotta hire you as a consultant because I mean you've been playing the game like you said forever. I remember I, when you were down at um, at Fan Expo. I mean you were down there playing. Obviously your Twitter handle is at Amaron underscore DM. I mean like you know you're you're the Dungeons and Dragons expert. They should be consulting you. So well they they are making uh, or they're at least talk about making a new one that's you know again they look at things like Game of Thrones and the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and they're like here are these fantasy genre films and TV shows that have had tremendous success when taken seriously. And I think they're finally realizing there's an opportunity to make money here if we do this right. So uh, I got my fingers crossed. There's another one coming out in the next couple of years. I really hope they get it right. That's or at least I really hope they don't screw it up. You got you to admit, that's got to be a real challenge, though. Like When it's based on, on a game, like like on a role-playing game, where you know it can go in a million different ways, and it really is sort of you know player-driven, the, the, the key with Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings is that they have wonderful stories. They have great stories yep. with great characters to motivate, you know, the plot, right? So ah, that's going to be a challenge to make that movie. Absolutely. But again, if they do it right, yeah, you know, there's an uh, there's un- unlimited amount of stories to be told uh, in this in this mythological world that is the the realms of Dungeons. And well, Caveman, funny enough that you mentioned doing it right, and funny enough that you also mentioned the Lord of the Rings, because my number three is the Lord of the Rings. Now, before you hear this out, I'm not talking about the movies from 2001 to 2003, the Peter Jackson films. No, no. I'm talking about the 1978 animated film. When I was a kid, I absolutely, and I'm sure you did too, I loved reading Lord of the Rings. Like and, and as an aside, I just started reading The Hobbit to my son, and we're going to move nice. on to The Lord of the Rings next. He absolutely loves The Hobbit so far, so nice. it's good. Nice. Should work out great. We we just finished uh, tonight at bedtime. Smog just got killed, so like, <sighs> he's absolutely loving it. So so anyway, Lord of the Rings was you know awesome. You know it was this incredible world with all these amazing creatures and these adventures and these battles, and then they went and decided, hey, we're going to make it into a movie. They okay, good idea, right? Hey, we're going to make it animated. Of course, it had to be at the time in order to you know to depict all those crazy characters that didn't exist and all that kind of stuff. So they went and got Ralph Bakshi, and they got him to to, to turn this trilogy into an animated movie. Well. You could probably imagine how excited I was to see this, you know, and I remember actually getting the laser disc. Do you remember laser discs, caveman? I have a laser disc player right now connected to a television in my house with about a dozen discs. Oh my. Oh, that, that is, I'm coming down and we're going to watch some of those movies together. <laughs> it was, is it the front loading one? Like where, yes. where, where, where like, like, like the, the, the laser disc was inside like this big kind of like, uh, kind of like sleeve. Like inch CD. It comes yeah. in a flat. A white sleeve. I have the Criterion version of Pulp Fiction. It is two discs, two sides of each disc. You have to stop the movie and flip it over. Yep, I remember that. I remember yeah. popping the movie in, and then you pop the, the you pop the sleeve out, and the movie stays in. And then you have to pop it in and flip it around and pop it in to play the second half of the movie. Yep. But but anyway, so my grandparents had a cottage when I was young, and uh, we used to always go up there almost every weekend in the summertime, and they had this Laserdisc player, and so I got the Laserdisc of the animated Lord of the Rings, and I was so excited to watch it, and man, was it crappy. The <laughs> animation was all crappy, and they used this live act, like footage of actors, and they, they kind of drew over them. It was this technique called rotoscoping. Okay. Yeah, and they kind of drew over top of the, the, the live action to make it kind of look animated, and oh man, it's sucked donkey man it was it was the worst thing ever it was such a huge disappointment for me as a kid and i'm sure pretty much everyone else had ever watched that stupid thing because i think everyone hated that movie that's why it's my number three movie 
All right. Uh, I feel your pain, my friend. I feel, I feel your pain. All right. Uh, so my number two is, uh, as we had just said, based on a book where the movie, in my opinion, didn't live up to it. And it's one of my all-time favorite books. I've read this at least five times. Ender's Game. So the movie Ender's Game was released in 2013 uh, based on the book of the same name by Orson Scott Card. Again, the book Ender's Game, love it to death. Read it a bunch. It's They've done, uh, I think there's eight or ten books in the series now. I've read them all. I've read many of them more than once. There is, I can't say anything bad about these books because they are fantastic. So with the book being that good in my mind, the movie was going to have to be the best movie ever to live up to my expectations and it was just okay i mean it starred harrison ford it's it had ben kingsley it had viola davis like not that the movie has a lot of adult stars like the part of the reason i love this book so much is is it's all about kids uh similar to how you have a lot of these uh um young reader books like the hunger games that are like aimed at like teenagers that have become so popular this one is you know 30 35 years old it's sort of you know a precursor to the ones that are out today but it's just so good on so many levels and then you have this movie and it's these kids and they're on a space station learning to become soldiers to fight in this war against the the insect aliens and and the book describes everything and you know in these great live vivid livid descriptions and so i thought okay again Special effects are in a good place. We can really get this done. And when you've got a 500-page book and you're turning it into a two-hour movie, stuff has to get cut out. And I just felt they cut out some of the best parts that were like the character development to really give you a sense of who these characters were so that when you reach sort of the third act, you really feel for the pain that some of these characters have to go through despite the fact that they're 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old kids that they have this maturity at this point that they can really feel the the emotions that are driven from this story and in my mind it just it just fell flat you had you know it, it just it didn't go where i wanted it to go it's it, on its own not necessarily a terrible movie if you've never read the book i could see it you know being a, a positive experience but the book is just so good that I think any movie was not going to live up to my expectations. So this was my number two disappointment in the movie theater for me was Ender's Game. Okay. So my number two is actually, it's funny that you just mentioned there that that was uh, the biggest disappointment you had in the movie theater because my number two actually isn't a movie theater uh, experience for me. And it's actually a movie, funny enough, that came out years before I was born. And it's this Hollywood sort of legendary Hollywood movie that everybody always gushes about and critics love and everyone talks about all the time. And so, you know, of course, I, I but I'd never seen it. So that, oh, I got to get around to watching it. So bear with me. It's Breakfast at Tiffany's. Okay. So for years, I'd always, and I'm a movie buff like you are, Cave. Like mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a movie nerd, right? And I love film and I love older films and stuff. And I'd never seen Breakfast at Tiffany's. And I always heard about it. Like everyone talking about how freaking good this movie was. So I finally gave in and I was like, I just have to find out. And about, that was maybe three years ago or so. I was like, I got to find out what, what makes this such a great piece of cinematic history. And I got to tell you, I don't get it. I hated that movie. It's boring. George Papard's character in it is an idiot. You couldn't care less about him at all. <laughs> Audrey Hepburn was so hyped about her performance in this role. And I think I would say she is probably one of the most least likable leading characters in a movie ever. 
And maybe that's the appeal of this thing. I don't know. But And what the hell was Mickey Rooney doing in that movie? My God, get him off the screen. That was the most racist thing I've ever seen in any film, ever. I mean, like, it was awful. It was The whole movie's a mess. It's too long. It's boring. Not one character in the movie is even remotely likable. I can honestly say I hate this movie. I just don't get it. I'm likely going to get hate mail emails for saying it, but Breakfast at Tiffany's sucked. I, I cannot believe people love this movie so much because when I finally watched it, I, it's a massive disappointment to me, and it certainly didn't live up to the hype. So that's my number two on your wow. number one. I, I got to admit, I've never seen it. No, but save yourself the time. Hey, well, now it, that it I've sucks. heard what you just had to say, yeah, now terrible. Not that it's ever that really been like you know, hey, you know what I want to do this weekend? Watch Breakfast at Tiffany's. But I have heard and seen the the, the clips of uh, Mickey Rooney, so I, I knew where you were going with that. Oh, and man, he was even oh. that alone is enough to you know just want to stay away. It was certainly a product of its time, and and based on today, it would never fly. But uh, yeah, okay, good to know. Yeah. All right, so uh, before we get on to my number one, I want to do yes. two. Very quick honorable mentions. Sure. The first one is sort of a sequel, so that's why I didn't put it on the list, and it's Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Again, I'm a big comic book nerd. Hey, he plays Dungeons and Dragons and reads comic books. Sorry, ladies, I'm taken. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Marvel movies have been tremendously successful. DC movies, uh, based on the DC comics, not so much, with the exception of the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. And this Batman versus Superman, no real exception here. Uh, again, I'm going to go on and say it was way too long. And the movie, you know, I watched the first hour or so after hearing all the bad hype and I'm watching it with my brother and I turned to him and I go, I'm really having a good time with this movie. I don't know why it's getting such bad reviews. And he's like, no, I'm really enjoying it. Then, you know, about an hour and a half into it, there's this huge turning point in the movie. There's this, you know, sort of a bad decision by the writers. And then the movie takes this U-turn and goes in this totally unexpected uh, direction. And it is just terrible. So it, it would have made my list, but I felt it was too much of a sequel coming out of the Man of Steel and the other uh, DC movie franchises. So it did not make the list officially. The other one is uh, the recent uh, uh, Oscar winner for Best Picture was Birdman with um, Michael Keaton and Ed Norton. And... The reason I didn't put it on the list is I couldn't finish watching it. I watched half an hour and then I paused it. I came back an hour later and I watched another half an hour and then I paused it and then I came back another and I watched ten more minutes. And I just couldn't get into it. It, it was it just did not live up to the hype for me at all. So I never really I never got to the end of the movie. So I didn't feel I could I could justifiably put it on the list because you never know maybe the end of the movie saves it. So. In any case, those are my honorable mentions. Uh, my number one, though, is um, also from 2013. Ender's Game is from 2013. My next pick, also from 2013, also based on a book I loved, and it is World War Z. So, I love zombie movies. My wife actually is the zombie movie aficionado and expert. Anything and everything to do with zombie movies, she's seen it. So, I, through osmosis and through proximity, have seen a ton of zombie movies, more than I ever would have thought. But this book, World War Z, Written by Max Brooks, who is the son of movie legend Mel Brooks, uh, is a fantastic author in his own right. He's written a couple of zombie books. This World War Z was the one that that like shot him into the stratosphere. The book is phenomenal. And the premise of the book is basically the zombie apocalypse has happened and the world is recovering from this disaster. And there's this journalist who is trying to get an accurate account of what's happened because when the apocalypse happened – 
keeping accurate records was not the number one priority. And so the book is made up of many, many short chapters where this journalist goes around the world and interviews all different people of all walks of life, private citizens, military, corporate, man, woman, child, all different people and gets their uh, point of view on how they survived and what their experiences were in the zombie apocalypse. And so you get this piecemeal it's like a slow burn through the novel where eventually you start to get the bigger picture and it just comes together it is so good and it is such an easy read because of the way it's put together the movie shares the name of the book and i believe brad pitt's character is the same name as the journalist in the book and that's about where the similarities end if they had just called this brad pitt movie you know zombie fighter or anything other than world war z i wouldn't have had any problems with it but they called it World War Z. They advertised that it was based on the novel by Max Brooks, and it wasn't. And it, it was not a great movie, and it absolutely was nowhere near the quality that the book was. They just took it in too many different directions and decided, hey, you know what? We've got this best-selling author and his book, but we're not going to use this stuff because we think we're better writers. Yeah, newsflash, you're not. And it was my number one most disappointing movie. I'm actually glad that you mentioned that one because I went to see that in the movie theater say, thinking the same thing. Oh, this is going to be good. And I heard so much hype about it. Everybody was like, oh, this is so good. It's so amazing. And I went and I sat through it and I'm like, what am I watching? This is awful. Like, this is awful. And the end of the movie came. I'm like, you got to be freaking kidding me. And they leave it as like a bit of a cliffhanger. Like, there's another one coming, I guess. And I'm like, what? This movie's terrible. And then... But everybody was like, oh, it's so good. And there's, uh, I agree with you on that one. And funny enough, you also mentioned when you, you mentioned your honorable mentions, you said Batman versus Superman. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, and maybe we got to bring Yancey, loop him back into this when he gets back and figure what's going on. Because the millennial movies, there's all these comic book films and they all just mold kind of meld and mold together like there's so many there's Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2 and Spider-Man 3 and then they came with Amazing Spider-Man and Spider-Man Homecoming or whatever the hell it was and then there's like Superman Returns and like Batman you know the Dark Knight and all that crap and Civil War Avengers I don't know it's just so ah, we can we got to do a whole episode on comic book movies I think but well, you uh, bring me in for that one I am a comic book expert well, you touched base on a couple of good ones here. So I'm going to go with my number one. And, you know, you also mentioned in your last little bit there that you are sort of a self-professed nerd. Okay. And so am I. You know, I, I make no bones about it. I'm a total nerd. And so Star Trek, the motion picture was oh, such a disappointment for me. And here's why. If you think about the original series, Star Trek, it ran from 66 to 69 on NBC. Right. And it obviously wasn't a huge success when it ran you know, when it first ran, but it gained this massive following during the seventies when it had, it was on reruns on television. And, and I was one of those people that went nuts for this show. And every day after school, I remember I would come home and I'd play outside. I'd usually play road hockey, you know, cause I'm a good Canadian boy. Right. And then at, at five o'clock, Star Trek reruns would come on TV and every weekday at five o'clock, I would be glued to the TV set from five to six. I absolutely loved that show, the original Star Trek. And so when they announced they're going to make a movie about, about the TV show, I, I went crazy. I was so excited. I remember I was only 10 years old. It was like what, um, I was like 10 years old at the time that the movie came out and it was only funny enough, 10 years, you know, since the show went off the air. So, and the thing was, it was two years after Star Wars sort of exploded, you know, into the pop culture sort of lexicon. So I think the conditions were perfect for this movie to succeed, you know, 
And then I sat down in the theater and I watched Star Trek The Motion Picture and man, did that movie suck. I mean, talk about disappointment. I mean, I couldn't believe how bad it was. Like all, all the joy that I got from watching that TV show was destroyed by this sort of big, long, boring movie. And I just hated it. And I still hate it. And the thing was, it turned me off Star Trek entirely. I, I have never watched a single episode of The Next Generation or Babylon 5 or whatever the hell that's called. And the only redeeming thing to come out of this movie was that they made Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, which was like awesome. One of the best sequels ever made. I was you, just going to say, you can't you can't deny that it had one of the best sequels. Yeah. And it's funny. You just mentioned sequels here. We, we got to do a show on sequels at some point. So I'll have, to, I'll have to get Yancey to do that with me. But uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture was for me the biggest movie disappointment of all time ever. No questions. It sucked. <laughs> uh, anyway, so there we go. We made it through our top five. So uh, you want to now play a little bit of a game of fun with Caveman. Okay, so what we decided to do this week. Last week, I put you on the spot and made you do the winner circle of... Uh, of a hundred thousand dollar pyramid. Yeah, uh, this made, week I, made, do it twisted my arm. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. you killed it. You beat Billy Crystal's record going to the top of the pyramid, and you won the hundred thousand dollars. And Yancey's going to mail you a check. So okay, look for good. that in the mail in U.S. dollars. In U.S. dollars too. So it's yes. worth even more in Canadian dollars. And um, so anyway, so this week I decided to do something different. I thought I'd throw it over to you, and I'd let you sort of take the reins with things. So uh, what would you like to do? All right. So I've got some trivia questions here. So. The show has been about our personal uh, um, disappointments at, uh, you know, disappointing movies. Right. I'm going to ask you some trivia questions about the biggest box office disappointments. These are all about movies that had huge budgets and made no money. Okay. Uh, Huge losses for the studios. Um, They're all going to be in that theme. I wasn't sure how difficult to make them, so there's sort of some that are tougher than others. I tried to drop some hints in the questions, but we'll we'll see here. I I think you should be able to get most of them, but uh, we'll see. I got five questions for you. We'll see how you do. Okay. Okay. So remember, they're all going to be about box office disappointments. So first one. So just because you've got two bankable stars that are romantically involved off screen doesn't mean that they should make movies together. And this was painfully apparent in the 2003 romantic comedy starring Benefer that had a budget of $75 million and only earned a disappointing $7 million. Can you name the movie? Yes. I mean, most people thought it was called Giggly, but it's actually Gigli. One. Oh man, was that bad? That was a, that was a big bomb. Oh, that was terrible. All right. Uh, did you ever see the movie? Mm-mm. No way. No, me neither. I'm not sitting through that crap. <laughs> yeah, but I will admit they also worked together in a Kevin Smith film called Jersey Girl. They had a couple of early scenes in that movie. As a huge Kevin Smith fan, I went and saw that in the theater. That one was also disappointing, but it didn't lose quite as much money. And, and the thing with Geely, too, is I think a lot of people were like, oh, it was just the Benefer thing was so big. People don't realize back at the time that Benefer thing was like crazy, crazy. It was like so overexposed. And so some people might chalk it up to the fact that that movie bombed because of the overexposure. No, the movie sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Plain and simple. Oh. Oh, anyway. All right. That was a big one. Oh, yeah. That was a good one. Okay, moving on. Question number two. So did, okay. you say, did you say they, it cost $75 million to make? They had a budget of seventy. million? How the hell did that movie cost $75 million to make? They didn't, nothing happens. There's no special I, I, effects. No. What, could, did, they, could, did they each get paid like $35 million for it or something? Well, that's ridiculous. I, yeah, I don't know. Oh, I don't man. know where these numbers come man, from. Oh, man, just, that's terrible. Yeah. Okay, sorry, All go right. ahead. Question number two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got me laughing now. Okay, fun. number two. What 1999 psychological thriller 
about an anthropologist who's imprisoned for murder stars Oscar winners Sir Anthony Hopkins and Cuba Gooding Jr. Had a budget of $80 million and only earned a disappointing $34 million. Name the movie. Oh, man. Was it, it wasn't it wasn't Sphere, was it? No. Uh, well, I don't know. I'm, uh, I have no idea. The answer is Instinct. Oh, God. What the hell is that? I don't even heard of that movie before, I don't think. I remember seeing it on video. Uh, I think I was still working at Blockbuster at the time, so it was one of the freebies. Yeah, it was not great. <laughs> it was uh, in the dollar bin, was it? Yeah, something like that. Oh, there you uh, go. I did, when I was doing a little bit of the research. For I'm the a Gen Xer. Though, this is 19, what'd you say, 1999? 1999. I don't hey, know man, stuff. I got I to try and stump you. Yeah. Uh, interesting bit of movie trivia that I read when I was reading this. It says, um, after takes with Cuba Gooding Jr., Sir Anthony Hopkins r- would routinely say, show me the money. In <laughs> character from Jerry Maguire. Oh, gosh. So that brought a smile to my face. I can imagine Sir Anthony Hopkins doing that. So ah, there you go. All right. Question number three. These, sure. I think these are going to get a little easier as we go here oh, for okay, you, Chris. Oh, okay, whatever. Okay. Uh, Steven Spielberg's film Jurassic Park was based on a best-selling novel by author Michael Crichton. Yes. But not every Crichton book has become a successful film. No, it has not. Can you name two of the three biggest box office disappointments that were movies based on Michael Crichton novels? Uh, two. Well, Congo was definitely one. Congo um, was not. Congo actually made money. A Congo made money, did it? Not a lot, but it did. Um, what, Westworld didn't make the list. Oh, because West, well, maybe Westworld made some money back in '73 when it came I'll out. I'll give you a hint. Yeah, just mentioned one like a minute ago. Was it Sphere? Was that his? Oh, so Sphere was Sphere one. Sphere had a budget of eighty million, grossed thirty-seven million, so it had losses in, of forty-three million. Holy smokes! Can you name one of the other two? I don't think I could now. One of them, the one with the biggest losses, starred Antonio Banderas. If that helps. No. All right. It was a movie called The Thirteenth Warrior, no. based on the book Eaters of the Dead by Michael Crichton. Okay. And the third one uh, starred Gerard Butler and Billy Connolly. What the hell are those two guys doing in a movie together? <laughs> the movie was called Timeline. It, should have been it had an dead of the class budget. It grossed forty-four million. It lost thirty-six million. And Thirteenth uh, Warrior had a budget of one hundred and sixty million, and only grossed sixty-two million. It lost almost a hundred million dollars. Wow. So I've, on the flip side, you have Jurassic Park, which made a stupid amount of money. So you know, as long as Creighton has novels that haven't been turned into movies, you know somebody's going to try and do it because yeah. there is a track record of success. There you go. All right. Okay, question number four. Kevin Costner had two huge box office disappointments within a three-year span in the 90s. They combined for total losses of $144 million. Can you name the two Kevin Costner box office disappointments from the 90s? Well, Waterworld was obviously one. Waterworld was the number one, yes. And the other one was, I'm assuming, was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? It was not. That one actually made a lot of money. Huh. Uh, what else did he do that would have bombed right around that time? Uh, oh, the Postman, right? Yes! Postman, 1997. $80 million right. budget, grossed $20 million. He lost $60 million on that one. Oh, so, yeah. And you got to think, this is only a few years after he was, you know, Oscar winner Kevin Costner for Dances with Wolves, where he's like, the golden boy can do no wrong. Let's give him a bunch of money and he can do whatever he wants. Yep. Not quite a, that good an idea every time. All right, last question. Sure. Uh, hopefully this one's uh, 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 one you can get here. Okay, this 2002 
sci-fi adventure film had a budget of $100 million and it starred two Oscar-nominated former Saturday Night Live alumnists. It only earned $7 million, making it one of the biggest box office disappointments ever. Can you name the movie? Oh, how the mighty fell, let me tell you. Although he was the box office, one of the box office kings of the 80s. Oh, man, Eddie Murphy sure fell apart when he made The Adventures of Pluto Nash. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, man, that was bad. So then, trivia question. Who is the other Saturday Night Live alum who was an Oscar nomination, Oscar nominated, who was in that movie? Um, Was Randy Quaid? Ever yeah, Randy Quaid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I figured you'd get that. All right. He is really, he's really lost his mind. He really lost his <laughs> over the years, hasn't he? Have you seen yeah. anything about him lately? Oh, yeah. Oh, Let's man, just, oh, man. Cuckoo Bananas is probably the nicest thing I can say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, hey, good job on the trivia. Again, I'm really surprised that I even got anything right because a lot of those happened after, you know, ni- the 1980s, which I know nothing about. So. Wait, you always ask Yancey questions about movies from your generation and he gets them wrong and you laugh at him so I no I don't I, no no we, 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 no we we quiz each other on our own movies so if I make him watch Revenge of the Nerds he asks me trivia questions about Revenge of the Nerds and I ask him questions about the Matrix and stuff like that so we so as so as not to embarrass each other oh okay well I hope you didn't feel embarrassed no no not at all well, I got some of them right so I did okay and believe me I tried to get a question in there where the answer was Ishtar but I could not come up with a question that would stump you on that it was just too obvious to say the great Greatest movie of 1986. That's all you need to say. I say Ishtar. There you go. That's oh, all you need to do. So there you go. Uh, and listen, I really appreciate you, uh, you know, stepping up again this week. Uh, like I say, hopefully we'll have Yancey back next week, but we'll have you back on as a guest. We always do. You know, you've been, you know, on the show more than any other guest that we've had. And if you want to reach out to Derek on Twitter, you can find him at Amaron underscore DM. Of course, you'll find me at C McBrien on Twitter. McBrien is I E N. And uh, at Yancey Eaton to, to get uh, with Yancey there. He should be back with us next week, but we'll find out for sure. You can always head over to the power. The uh, the website, uh, popgoesyourworld.com. All of our contact information is on there if you want to reach out to us and send us an email or anything like that. Uh, Derek, uh, again, I really, really appreciate you, man, coming on the show. It's uh, it's always nice to have you. Happy to do it, Chris. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, it was another great show. So uh, that's it for, for this week. For, until next week, uh, hopefully we're going to have Yancey back. This is Chris McBride saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 